0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Little Dudes Insect Academy podcast. I am so excited to be here with uh, Jill Joyner and Alyssa Branca. And um, we are here at the uh, ESA conference in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, So welcome to the show, Jill and Alyssa.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here. Hi, yeah, nice to be
0: here. Yeah, so um, we're going to just go ahead and get started. So we're going to go ahead and um, get started with uh, just introduce yourselves a little bit. Like, uh, what are you doing right now and kind of uh, your path to get here?
2: Uh, yeah, so I'll go first. Uh, I, this is Jill. I am a research entomologist at Banfield Bio. We're a really small uh, research and development company uh, just outside of Seattle, Washington and yeah right now our main focus is kind of developing tick traps and uh, finding ways to help control really arthropods of medical importance so mosquitoes ticks kissing bugs um so i really work on uh yeah just developing ways to test our products currently very cool and my name is Alyssa
1: branca um i also work at badfield bio and i am the research biologist there and i will do everything from just lab bench work to field work with arthropods Um, i do a lot of grant writing as does jill Um, and one of our overall goals of the company is to help facilitate moving academic ideas into commercial products and Mm. so i've been i've worked on mosquito traps that have made it into the field in time to help um, trap the mosquitoes that cause Zika virus um, mm. when that broke out in Puerto Rico Yeah. Um, and yes, now we're working on tick traps we're also, you know, we're willing to work with any sort of arthropod if, if people have an idea but they're not really sure how to get it to that next step uh, we can often help with that and mm. we can help facilitate partnerships with other academic institutions that, you know, somebody working in Texas might not realize there's somebody up in Washington working on or out in Connecticut
0: or something. Hmm. Very cool. Okay, so um, let's go into a little bit about your um, both of your past careers. So uh, let's start with you, Jill. Uh, where did you go to school? How did you um, and how did you choose uh, where your path went?
2: Yeah. So I went to I did my undergrad at the University of Washington. Um, really wasn't entomology focused at all. It was yeah. very much just basic entomology, but I uh, interned in a lab that focused on mosquitoes, Nice. and then after I finished my undergrad, um, the people that I worked with in that lab, they forwarded me an email about a PhD in the UK uh, to then do more work with mosquitoes, maybe egg-laying behavior, Uh, and they really helped me with that application and everything, and then I like kind of applied on a whim and I got it and then they're like can you move to the UK in two months and I was like okay sure so moved there and then continued on into entomology and focused on mainly insect behavior a bit of a chemical ecology focus as well Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and then uh, finished my degree and then I got a job at Banfield Bio, so I'm still really fresh in my career, but it's been it's been exciting to kind of I didn't think that I would go into entomology fully and then mm-hmm. it kind of just happened and it's been great.
0: Very cool. Yeah. Alright, how about you Alyssa?
2: Well
1: I took kind of a different path. Uh, my original undergrad degree was in comparative literature at the University of Washington. Okay i worked for a while for a company that harvested government bids and rfps and we'd package them up look through line by line details and send them out to people who were interested in oh you know this topic or that and i got a little frustrated with it i was like mm-hmm. you know i kind of want to learn more i want to go back to school and i ended up going back to the university of washington i got another a, a bachelor's of science in biology mm-hmm. and while i was there i studied the crow roost at the university of washington bothell and i i was like is, is the crow roost having a, an effect on the creatures that might be living in the leaf litter underneath? Mm-hmm. So I was going through and sampling soil and leaf litter and putting the stuff in Berlese funnels and then just looking at all the bugs and stuff I found. Mm. And I, you know, after I graduated, I went and looked for a job and I was, I was like, there's an insect, a, a pest control company that's kind of nearby. Mm-hmm. and I didn't expect to be looking at bugs in the first place and I did not expect to find a job working with bugs. But, you know, I I applied and it was super exciting and then it was this place where I could also like use my literature background to help write grants. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of writing that happens in science. Right. So it's kind of like like two of the things that I was super interested in And, and it's been really a very interesting, fun place to work.
0: Very cool. Yeah, so it kind of all works together and everything's kind of connected a little bit. Very cool. Yeah, so where did you two originally kind of, uh, we talked a little bit about um, when you originally got interested in entomology, but kind of what what drew you in? Like, what was there a moment that um, you really got hooked on insects in general? Uh,
2: well, I guess, so growing up, I was always kind of, digging around you know lifting up rocks and looking at like the ants that are under there right or, um there's a field right behind my parents backyard that mm-hmm. there's this one summer i remember catching so many praying mantises and mm-hmm. sadly i don't remember seeing many praying mantises after that so that's kind of really sad that yeah that, but um yeah so i feel like it was kind of the interest in entomology was always there yeah i just it didn't ever occur to me that it could be a career until I went to college. Right. Um, But yeah, it very much was always kind of persistent and... um, Yeah, it... It really blossomed later when I got to experience actually being in a lab and researching um, mosquitoes and then kind of branched out further from there. Mm. Yeah. And...
1: I too was one of those like outdoors bug kids like just in general like if I could find something cool outside I you know I'd go look at a bug or yeah. you know there's you know maybe there's some newts in a pond or something mm-hmm. um, I I had family growing up in Kansas so I we'd go back there and we'd get to see lightning bugs yeah and that was really cool for a kid from Washington state where we didn't really have didn't have them like yeah that. so um, always kind of interested in the natural world, but yeah, didn't know that careers were possible in it at all. Right. Um, and again, I kind of stumbled into it, but really enjoy it. Like, um, I don't know, it's kind of cool seeing like these horrible infectious diseases, but like something relatively simple, like a trap can just prevent people from catching it in the first place. And I just mm. think that's super cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so let's get into that a little bit more. What are some of the traps that you guys have been working on, and, and how has that kind of evolved over time?
2: Uh, well, so I'd say the main trap that we're working on right now is a tick trap, mm-hmm. uh, and that is it's a CO2-based trap, and okay. it aims to, I'd say, less for control right now and more for surveillance is the main goal of using right. it. And it's, it's very easy to use where you just, like, set it out, and the sticky that catches the ticks is face, is face downwards. It um, prevents a lot of bycatch. You aren't worried about catching a bird yeah. or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of leave it out for a few hours and come back and um, see what ticks you've got. And so far, at least for... Um, the Lone Star Ticket does really well, mm-hmm. Lone Star Ticks move a lot, mm-hmm. um, and we
1: got data on black legged Tick as well, mm-hmm. at least in the Midwest, nice. um, and it did pretty well there as well. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and say cool. so how that has evolved a bit is before it was just kind of this wooden contraption and now yeah, it's a <laughs> contraption <laughs> with um, like a one-gallon Coleman-type cooler yeah. on it that mm-hmm. somebody drilled yeah. holes in. Yeah. So and pretty yeah. expensive. <laughs> yeah. Now it's kind of a more well-designed, looks like plastic, almost like a dog bowl is what it <laughs> looks mm-hmm. like now. Um, and right now what we're really kind of develop, trying to develop is something that, a CO, source of CO2 that's not dry ice, mm-hmm. dry ice is pretty expensive. Um, you have to have, you know, special gloves or yeah, tongs or something right. to handle it. Yeah. And you have a huge cooler you got to take out to the yeah. field. So now we're trying to figure out some way for a simple, easier way to produce CO2 over a long period of time. So that's kind of where that's been um, evolving. And with the goal that it's easy to use, cheap, so just mass surveillance of ticks can happen throughout Mm. the country, which would be great. Um, Yeah. And another trap that we're dealing with is... um, Well...
1: When I started with the company, uh, we were actually working on commercializing the CDC's Autocidal Gravid ovitraps for 80s mosquitoes. They are container-breeding mosquitoes that mm. spread yellow fever and dengue fever, um, Zika virus, chikungunya, all sorts of nasty little diseases. Yeah. Um, and those container-breeding mosquitoes, they have this habit of going from one tiny little pool of water to another and putting right. a few eggs at each location. It's called skip up a position. Mm-hmm. And um, this trap is designed to be a nice cool well actually it's pretty boring but it's a nice dark place which is really appealing to them but they go in right. there and then they can't get to the water and so then they fly up um, and go to rest on the walls and get stuck on the glue there and mm. they're very effective. Um, they Oh, I can't remember the exact numbers, but um, they were used in just a massive study in Puerto Rico by the guy who designed it, a man named Roberto Barrera. Um, well, and his team. Um, yeah. But uh, they decreased the overall population of eighties mosquito down mm-hmm. to something like less than one per week or something like that on average, like super reduction. So
0: that has a bit, a bit of a different purpose. It's just to catch them and you know more so eliminate them then versus the tick one which is surveillance right is that correct okay yeah
2: yeah if the tick trap could control the ticks that would be awesome Mm -hmm. yeah Um, but just the way tick populations fluctuate yeah just yeah it's just it's so much more difficult to do that with just a trap right yeah. yeah ticks can get dragged in from anywhere
1: by all sorts of different animals and right yeah
0: yeah, so y- you said that um, the, so let's go back to the tick trap. It's CO2-based. So what attracts the ticks versus, uh, like, what attracts a tick specifically versus anything else?
2: Uh, so with arthropods that are blood-feeding, mm-hmm. uh, CO2 is used as a very main source of attraction because, I mean, things that are breathing, for the We're most part, ex- they ex- have Expel CO2, <laughs> right, yeah. So... <laughs> Um, so, for mosquitoes, kissing bugs, bed bugs, and ticks, CO2 is used as a main source of attraction to mm-hmm. get them towards the source that we're trying to lure them to. Right. Um, versus, like, because other insects, I mean, they don't have as much interest in CO2. I mean, there's maybe a bit of expulsion from like plants, but it's so minor that it's it doesn't it's not as large of an attraction as it is for blood feeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that also helps reduce the amount of bycatch that we get as well because Mm. other insects just aren't really interested in in the CO2 Yeah,
0: it narrows it down a lot. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, and then the second one, the mosquito one, what is the main um, attractant for that?
1: Stinky, stinky water. Um, Oh, really? Oh, yeah? Yeah, um, so basically we tell people to fill it up. I think it's probably about two and a half gallons or so. Oh, wow. Um, And then throw in like a handful of Leaves. If you're in New Jersey, um, or like a handful of local grass. If you're in Florida or Puerto Rico, like just sort of native vegetation. And mm-hmm. um, after about a week or so, you're gonna just have a real gnarly smelling yeah. Blend, but it it's very attractive to the mosquitoes.
0: And that sort of attracts them for a place to breed. Or yes. okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So so it only. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the females are the ones you're worried about, right? Correct. Because yes. they're the ones who feed, right? Okay, so yeah, so it attracts. So your your main the main ones that you catch would be females then, because yes. they're yes. attracting uh, it the because they're attracted to a place where they can lay their eggs. Is mm-hmm. essentially what yes. is happening. Yeah. Okay. And yeah.
2: with like oviposition traps. Mm-hmm. Um, what's great about them is you're kind of targeting. you're kind of canceling out two things with mosquitoes. So one is a mosquito is only able to infect another, infect someone with a disease that they've already bitten someone, right? Right. And they only bite someone when they are looking to then um, become gravid and then lay eggs. Right. And so one, you're catching the mosquitoes that have bit someone, so the Mm -hmm. ones that are infected, but then also you're catching mosquitoes that's going to then be producing. So you're canceling out the mosquitoes that have disease and also the um, reproduction of the mosquitoes as well. So you're kind mm-hmm. of doing, like, a two-punch when you lay it, when you set out the right. position traps so rather than just, like, host seeking traps or um, sugar-feeding traps.
0: Really? Okay. Yeah, so after you've left the trap out, for, for how long?
1: Um, the AGO trap, can uh, they were getting left out for probably, I mean, months on end, and then we were replacing the sticky every month or so. It was mm. about four weeks that they... Maintained, yeah,
0: and then how many individuals are kind of an average catch? I guess.
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, we were often looking at just um 80s mosquitoes in as the mosquito of like that we were really looking at, and sometimes Mm -hmm. it was as low as like one per trap per trap week, um, right? But it caught quite a few other species, like several in the kulix genus um probably some others in there as well um, it, they're it, they're attractive to more than just the 80s mosquitoes but right. i'd say like we'd probably get like hundreds on the cards oh wow when they get checked i don't have an exact number though. yeah
0: very interesting yeah so um how about let's go back to a little bit of what you guys have done in the past um, so what were some of the projects, just name a few of the projects that you guys have kind of worked on in the past, both in your school or otherwise?
2: Uh, yeah, so I guess during my PhD, it was very much on mosquito egg laying behavior. Yeah. And so I was more kind of uh, less on developing traps and means of control and more just like Curiosity Science, um, mm. which is great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I was really wanting to look at if what my main, the main species I was looking at was Aedes aegypti. So mm-hmm. the I'm curious, like Zika and dengue, um, and I wanted to see kind of if where they laid their eggs. Did that actually correspond with where their offspring produced the best? Okay. So like, and it's a bit more difficult with Aedes because, as Alyssa said before, they do skip over position. So it ended up being that where they lay their eggs is not necessarily guaranteed that it's where they're going to actually perform the best um, mm. growth-wise because, I mean, they don't really have to care about that because they lay in so many different things. <laughs> they just mm. go all over. So it's like, hey, yeah, chances are some of my offspring's going to survive. Right. Um, so that's really what I focused on. But then I also wanted to see, uh, so they will lay their eggs kind of just above the water line, mm. but occasionally they lay their eggs on the water surface as well. Because 80s, when they lay their eggs just above the water line, then as soon as, after like a few days, maybe the water surface will rise, and then they hatch. So okay. there, it also makes them, um, this is why they can be such a problem, because they'll lay their eggs in like tires, and then the tires will get shipped across the world, and then they kind of spread Oh,
0: right, around. yeah.
2: Um, and so I wanted to see if, if what was in the water also kind of helped correlate with whether they laid their eggs directly on the surface of the water or just above the waterline, mm. um, to see if they had a way to kind of optimize how well their offspring would do as well. Interesting. Uh, with that, and it looks like there was a slight difference between, like, based off of what was in the water, whether they laid their eggs just above the waterline yeah. or on the water surface, but it still didn't really correspond with how well their offspring survived. So right. that's actually a benefit. I'm not sure. Yeah. But that's really what I focused on during my
0: PhD. Very cool. Yeah. How about you?
1: Um, well, when I was um, doing my work in college, I was just looking at just kind of an overall arthropod and kind of microfauna. Not not microscopic microfauna, but right. not you know like the little the little bugs and slugs and worms and stuff you might find in soil and leaf litter right and so i was just looking at everything there mm-hmm. um and trying to see if the crow poop right um, changed like how things were laid out it, but it you know we that was kind of an inconclusive study it was undergraduate research didn't have right. to, like couldn't throw four years of phd work at it yeah so, um i mean there's it, it's a very interesting location because there's a whole bunch of undergrad researchers there are still looking into all sorts of aspects of it um, but I don't know if anything conclusive has come out of it yet Yeah. Um, but once I got to Banfield Bio uh, I've done all sorts of things um, I have counted oh probably 40 or 50,000 yellow jackets that we've caught over time yeah. fruit flies um, looked into pantry moths, pests Uh, Gosh, all sorts of different things. I did a lot of chemistry-making lures for products that we used to. We used to have a home consumer line that we've spun off from the company. Right. Um, And So just any sort of kind of pest pest arthropod you can think of, we probably had something for it at one point Mm -hmm. or thought about making something for it. Yeah. Um, But most of my work has been on... um, mosquitoes and ticks at this point um, we also looked at um, some different methods of getting incredibly small amounts of pesticide to very targeted locations so with mm-hmm. mosquitoes we looked at auto dissemination where with these skip ovipositing mosquitoes um, if you could get them to go somewhere and get like say dusted with a the powder the, the original idea was kind of tarring and feathering them
0: Oh, so really? So they'd,
1: they'd walk through a kind of a liquid formulation, yeah. and then they'd walk through a powder formulation to get it caught on them, and then would they go lay, at, like, it was a trap that, it wasn't a trap, it was designed to get them in there, they couldn't lay, and then they would be forced out another way, and they'd get tarred and feathered, and then go from, you know, we'd put out cups to test this, and they'd go from cup to cup trying to lay eggs, and yeah. also depositing a larvicide along with it, so... Mm-hmm. It was a super cool idea, and there's we're, there's still people working on it, and we've actually spun the idea into trying to use tick hosts to do something similar. Although our we're still in progress working on that, mm-hmm. so no no nothing publishable yet.
0: Mm. Okay, very cool. Um, yeah, I think we're going to uh, wrap it up here pretty quick. Um, what are some of the plans that you two have for the future like what what are some of your goals maybe fun projects or trips that you want to do um yeah what 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 are your plans
2: oh okay does it have to be entomology related no <laughs> okay. no just
0: yeah in general
2: uh well so i right before getting hired by banfield bio yeah. i hiked the pacific crest trail oh so cool i like what i wanted to do right after the phd right so i'd say my next goal would be to do the continental divide trail and oh, really? i don't know when but that's yeah. i think my next main goal that's awesome sweet, so, yeah. yeah
0: so you're into hiking and backpacking a lot yes, too very much so very yeah. cool yeah
2: it's been it's been great I try to go out as much as i can but you know it doesn't always happen
0: so. yeah that's so awesome mm-hmm. yeah how about you Alyssa?
2: um Oh, that's
1: a good question. I would love to travel more. I have a seven-year-old, and I okay. really want to install, a, like, a love of learning in yeah. him. Yeah. And he already is very much interested in bugs, so I'm very excited to see that's great. the little dude's program. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to introduce this to him when, yeah. when I get back home. Um, so I'd, li- I'd like to be able to travel and see some things and think about the natural world and, you know, just... I think that's probably my goal for the near future is going places, getting them excited about things
0: like that. That's really awesome. Yeah, all right. So uh, thank you both so much for being on the show. Um, One last thing before we uh, sign off. Is there anywhere that the viewers can go to learn more about both of you? Um, Maybe social media, if you have it, or anything like that, maybe a website, um, anything like that for either of you that Uh, they can go?
2: Yeah, so I guess for our, um, our we um, work at Banfield yeah. Bio, right. um, which
1: is banfieldbio.com. Um, I mean, right now it's mostly about a trap that we produce that's a monitoring trap for native pollinators.
2: Um, mm-hmm. We're hoping to get a little more details on the Our website, website is currently getting a revamp as we speak. Got it, so, yeah. Um, and then for me personally, I am not too active on Instagram, but my handle is Jill the Joiner. And I have some macro photography pictures and oh, some cool. hiking pictures on there. Cool. So, yeah.
1: yeah, I'm on Twitter and Blue Sky at MJ12 Ash. I very rarely use it. The handle is just kind of gibberish. <laughs>
0: I totally get it, yeah. All right, well, thank you both so much for being on the show. This was really fun to get to know both of you. Um, but, yeah, I enjoyed this a lot. Uh, I hope you guys did too. This was really fun. So thank you both so much.
2: Yeah, this is great. This is my first podcasting experience.